Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to John's Gospel, chapter 20. As we are studying through and almost done with the Gospel of John, if you want to get ahead, go to Acts chapter 1 and also Acts chapter 19 as we review the empowering work of the Holy Spirit, or what is commonly known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And whenever the topic of the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes up, there are always the, these divisions and the discussions and things that maybe even thinking, well, did I, did I miss out on something when I got saved? And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit wants all of you. The Holy Spirit wants all of you as you walk forward in your relationship with Him. Notice with me in John chapter 20, Beginning in verse 21, Jesus shows up to the disciples and he says, Peace to you, as the, Father, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. He gives of them the Holy Spirit, and this is the time where the disciples there were born again. That's what we would call that today. They are born again. They have been serving alongside of Jesus all this time, and now they are getting the Holy Spirit inside of them. Before the Holy Spirit is sent after the ascension, this group gets to enjoy the presence and the power and the indwelling and the sealing work of the Holy Spirit. But the Bible teaches there is more than one relationship that you and I can have with the Holy Spirit. There's actually three. If you're taking notes, jot them down. Turn over now to John chapter 14. We looked at this before, and we want to review it again as often as we can. Because too many believers are living their Christian life in their own wisdom and their own strength their own abilities. Some of you, you're not even attempting to live the Christian life. You're just showing up on church today. But you know the rest of the week, you're going to be yelling at your wife, you're going to be mad at work, you're going to be uh, all caught up in the world, and, and that's not God's heart for your life. That's not his desire for you just to be religious just to go through the motions or, you know, just to, I'll do it because I have to, but rather to embrace the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So pick up with me in John 14, and let's start in verse 15. Jesus is speaking, and he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. And here, who, here's the definition, who the helper is. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And it's here where we see two of the three relationships that you and I can have with the Holy Spirit. The first one, if you're taking notes, is at the end of verse 17, he dwells with you. This is the Greek word para, and we're going to use the Greek words to help define the relationship. This is the Greek word para, and we're familiar with that word when we use the word paramedic. 
someone that comes alongside a doctor or a nurse to provide medical care, getting a patient into the hospital and get them stabilized. Para, to be with. The experience that everyone in the world has with the Holy Spirit is this with experience. The Holy Spirit's in the world drawing a person to God. And before I became a Christian, the Holy Spirit was with me, making me restless and hungry for the things of God. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and brings a person to the understanding of their need of salvation. There's that pull, there's that tug. When you're praying for, for your loved one and for your friends and your coworkers to be saved, you're literally praying for the Holy Spirit to convict them. Because you've learned by now you can't do it. You can't convince them, you can't convict them. There's always a new argument, there's always a new resistance. And, and enough with this doctrine that, that's known as irresistible grace. That, that's not true. Grace is resisted all the time. Even as Jesus is saying here, the Holy Spirit can't be received. The Holy Spirit's resisting. There's so much pushback on the work of the Holy Spirit today. Remember when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, he looks over the city and he says, how often, he started crying over the city, over the people of the city. He said, how often have I wanted to gather you to myself, but you were not willing. And there's this unwillingness in the world toward the things of God today, and I'm sure you've experienced it in more than one way. Where people just aren't interested in the things of God. They don't want to yield their spirits to God. They don't want to repent of their sins. They, they want to do life their own way, their own will, kind of being the captain of their own ship and taking their life and doing what they will with it. Everyone has the Holy Spirit with them, and most everyone resists the Holy Spirit. Some resist so much that the Bible says there's a class of people that die in their sin where they never come to terms with God ever and they die in their sin and spend eternity apart from God in a place that we know is hell. Well, there's many different words for that. The lake of fire, Gehenna in the Bible, but we commonly refer to that as hell. It's separation from God forever. It's almost as if God's saying, if, if you want to resist me now, you don't want me now, what makes you think you're going to want me in, for all of eternity? The Bible says that some resist the Holy Spirit so much that while they're on the earth, they blaspheme the Holy Spirit where they've crossed the line of no return. Now, because we don't know what that line is and where that is in people's lives, we continue to evangelize and share the gospel because we don't know. But unfortunately, some resist so hard and so long and so successfully. We don't want you to successfully resist God anymore. We don't want you holding back your life from the God who created you and loves you. And everyone has the with experience, but so many resist. Number two, notice, as he's speaking to the disciples in verse 17, he says, and the Holy Spirit will be in you. That's the Greek word en, E-N. We define it here in English as I-N. And this is the born-again experience. This is for everyone that has repented of their sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, just like the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the mouth, the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So when a person believes and confesses and repents, the Holy Spirit comes in you and me to permanently dwell in our lives. The Bible says the Spirit fills us. The Bible says the Spirit seals us and will be the guarantee 
the deposit of the guarantee of our salvation, the third person of the Godhead. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says, but you are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Which brings us to the third experience. Turn over to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. The third experience that only believers can have with the Holy Spirit is found here in Acts chapter 1. The group that Jesus is addressing are some of the same people that were there in John chapter 20 that received the Holy Spirit in them. Jesus breathed on them, they received the Spirit, and now Jesus is telling them about another work of the Spirit, another relationship. Verse 4, Acts chapter 1. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Listen, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Here's the third experience. It's the upon experience, or we often refer to that as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's the Greek word here on the word upon in verse 8, epi, E-P-I. It literally means to come upon. And this is the empowering work of the Holy Spirit that, gets, that gives the believer a power to be witnesses and a strength to accomplish the will of God, not in our own strength and our own wisdom. It's the kind of power that Jesus describes in John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And this he spoke concerning the Spirit. Every believer needs to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. When I put before you an option, limited power or unlimited power, which would you choose? Now, it's kind of a silly question because I think most of us would choose unlimited. We, We want unlimited power, especially when it comes to the things of God. And yet, and yet so many believers live as if they have no power from God. It's like driving your car or your truck on on empty when the gas gauge is empty. You know, sometimes the the needle is way high and a lot of times it's below half and many times it's right there on empty. And I know some of you, I I met a few in first service and I know some of you, some people you're driving right now, right now, listening to the radio, you're driving right now on empty because you watch some television show that said that when your car's on empty, you're still going to get 30 miles out of that. So why fill up? And you know, a lot of times people pulled over on I-25, they thought the same thing. (laughs) I've driven this way 
I, I've driven this way. I, I even tried to change my habits. There was a time where I changed my mind. I said, okay, I'm going to do it all different now. From now on, when I fill up Marie's car, when I fill up mine, it's going to be at half. I'm just going to start. I'm going to. It never took. It never happened. It, it, still, it still goes down. There have been times when I've been driving where the needle was below empty, and you could actually see distance between the little line and the needle. And I'm like, what am I doing? I don't. And I'm just so nervous. And I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. Well, you may drive your car like that or may not, but I found many believers live like that. They live like that. They're on empty. When, when, you, when you live your life as a believer in Jesus Christ on empty, you, you hear words like, I'm burned out. My relationship with God is dry. It's boring. I don't get much out of the Bible. I don't get the point of church. I'm sure you've met some folks, I have, where as we talk to them, they'll, they'll say, you know, I've tried Christianity and it didn't work for me. Listen, if that describes your life, you've tried Christianity, or at least you think you have, and it didn't work for you, you didn't have real Christianity. Because Christianity always works. Because Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a person. A relationship with a real living God who gave his life for you and rose again from the dead, who dwells in you by faith in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives power for the Christian life. Maybe you're like me as a new believer. I didn't understand or I didn't even know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That wasn't explained to me. And when we give the gospel, we don't always explain the baptism of the Holy Spirit right away. It's in the little packet that we give out. We hand it out to you, and there's a whole section on the baptism of the Holy Spirit there. But I was like, I, I approached Christianity when, when I responded to the gospel, and I approached Christianity, I, I approached it pretty much like everything else in my life. Now, I heard the gospel, and, and I understood God's love for me. I, I embraced it. I was convinced. I was convicted. And when the pastor gave the invitation, I'm like, this is what I need in my life. I've spent 23 years doing my own thing. It's led me to nothing, almost utter disaster. By the time I was 23, almost everything lost. I'm like, this is for me. I realize it. I, I need to embrace the love of God. I need to leave. Nobody needed to tell me what sin was in my life. I knew what it was. I needed to leave it behind. I embraced God by faith, and, and God began to work right away. And he delivered me from some big things in my life. I mean, immediately I wasn't drinking anymore. Uh, immediately I wasn't doing drugs anymore. Immediately I was avoiding the places that were tearing me down. My mind changed. So much of me changed, but a lot of me didn't change. And here's the approach that I took with Christianity. It was sort of like the approach I took with anything else. I, I felt like I could master this thing. That, that I would learn the book, and I would listen to Bible studies, and then Really what I did in those first seven months of my relationship with God is I took the Bible and I gave spiritual language to so many things I was already doing. And, and I was like, well, you know, the Bible really says it this way, but I was doing it my way. And the Bible says this, and so I adapted it my way, whether it was parenting, whether it was marriage. Like, like you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow him, let him what? Deny himself, take up the cross and follow him. Now, now, I understood the idea of denying myself. It was just very difficult for me to apply it. And like many believers before and after me, 
I approach Christianity as if it was something I had to do and I needed to do very well and I needed to master it so that this new way of life would just be changing my behavior according to the Bible. And I was wrong. Christianity isn't into behavioral change. Although our behaviors do change. See, Christianity is not like any world religion. Christianity actually isn't even a world religion. It's a world relationship. But world religions, world religions, this is the basic tenet of every world religion. A group of people come together and have someone they're following and they say this. If you ever want to attain to our leader and our false God, they don't say false God, but I will for the sake of our Bible study, our God, little g, then these are the things you must do. And if you do them your whole life, you just might maybe make it. So work hard, do your best, give it the old college try, listen to us, we'll tell you what to do, and, and if you do really well and you work really hard, just maybe you'll make it. But Christianity is nothing like that. It's the exact opposite. It couldn't be more opposite than every world religion. And it's simply this. Jesus Christ, he sees our weakened condition. He sees how separate we are. He sees in what bad shape we are. And he does this. He says, I'll do all the work. You just believe in me. I'll do all the work. Everything that's needed to reconcile your life with your creator, I will do. And if you place your faith in me, that's all you need. I will empower you, I'll lead you, I'll help you, I'll do the work. And so what do we do as believers? We either, we either believe in Jesus Christ and follow him completely, or we have a hybrid where we think, you know, this all depends on me. And life becomes a drudgery. Or it becomes very legalistic where it's all about what you should do and what you shouldn't do and, and different ways this has been interpreted over the years, how you should dress, whether you should wear makeup or not, what Bible version to use, on and on and on. Legalism takes many different forms. All the while, while we're, very, we're denying the very power of God that he has given to us as believers. I'm sure this illustration will ring true with many of you. You wake up in the morning and you put on an imaginary backpack. And in that imaginary backpack, you start to put inside of it all of the burdens and difficulties of your day. You put in the parenting, you put in how hard it's been in parenting, and you put in that financial thing, and you put in that other worry about what's going on at work, and you put that, that other worry about what's happening with the car, and then there's the difficulties with the kids, and before you know it, your back is just burdened with life. And then you wonder, what am I supposed to do? I didn't know that following Jesus was such a burden and it was so heavy. And by the time eight o'clock comes, nine o'clock comes, 10, your shoulders are visibly down. You have the weight of condemnation. You have the weight of life's burdens. And, and it's robbed you of your peace. And it's robbed you of your joy. And it's robbed you of your relationship, that intimacy of relationship. And, and you carry it around every day. On occasion, you take it off, but for the most part, you carry the burdens around until you hear that, that word of Jesus come back and say, hey, you all that are weary and heavy laden, come unto me and I'll give you what? Rest. You've lost your rest because you think you need to master this thing 
when all the while God has given you everything that you need, all the power, all the energy, all the, everything you need is found in him if you'll turn to him by faith. Even the power, notice in verse eight, to be witnesses. The power to be witnesses. I mean, God has saved us to impact a lost and dying world. And this world is hostile. Can I get an amen? amen. But you might have amened me by thinking how hostile the world is toward Christianity. Let's back up a little bit. The world is hostile, period. They eat each other up. They destroy each other. Yes, yes, it's true. It's true that there is a special antagonism of the world toward followers of Jesus, but that shouldn't surprise us. Jesus said it would be so. If they hated me, Jesus said, they're going to hate you. I mean, the world automatically wants to have this world system, wants to have people around them that agree with them so that when the church stands up, and there's not very many people left on the earth that is doing this, but the church is, and the church stands up and says, it is wrong to kill a baby in the womb. It is wrong. It is sinful. The world flips out. Absolutely out of control. You can't say that. You can't tell us what to do with our body. Who do you think you are? All these moral platitudes. Listen, listen. Life begins in conception. Everyone deserves to live their life given by God. Let me pause here just for a second because God brought this topic up in our earlier service and now today and I just want to speak to those of you that have abortion in your past because a statement so strong like that can be taken so personal by you because it's very painful. Now you know the other side, don't you? You know the other side. It, 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 isn't, it wasn't going to be, it's not the solution because of all of the, the spiritual and emotional baggage that comes with that. And I just want you to know, I want you to know if you have abortion in your past, whether, whether you're a female that had it or a male that had supported it, there is forgiveness for you at the cross of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ covers that sin as well. And so it's not intended to bring condemnation upon you, although we pray for healing of your heart because that's a deep wound in your life. It's a deep wound. It's something that is, is very painful. And I just know that God is the healer and he can heal you. But this world is hostile. A world that encourages that is not a world that glorifies God. I don't know if you read recently, but I read in Houston. There's this organization that was raising money, that is raising money. And I don't know if it was a GoFundMe or what, but they were raising money to give free abortions to people that were affected by the flooding in Houston. And you're like, what is wrong with our world? What is wrong with our thinking? You and I are not going to be able to make it in this world without the power of the Holy Spirit. What's wrong with this world? And so we think so much, and I'm sure sometimes you that what is wrong with this world that you may forget that God has saved you for this world? The world needs you, believer. The world needs you. The world needs me to walk in the love of Jesus Christ, to speak the truth in love. But you know, you need the world as well. And you go, what? I need the world like a permanent headache. No, no, you need the world because the world God uses to refine you. God uses this world system to test and to challenge and to help and to grow and to mature you. You need the world as much as the world needs you and we need the world 
as the audience of the gospel. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's the audience of the gospel. But here's what happens. Let's tie this all together with religion for a moment. Lest we think a discussion of religion is for someone out there, it's very much for us. When we think of religion, think of repetitive, habitual, emotionless decisions. Like church. Church has become so religious for people. It's just something to do, something we think we need to do, something that I really don't even want to do, but I'm going to come here anyway for my wife, for my, for my husband, for my mom. And, and you just become so religious. And, and as you're here, like, because you think about this gathering together, basically what we're doing right now, we have done pretty much the same way for the last 18 years whether we're meeting here, whether we're meeting in the school, whether we're meeting in the basement down the street on Winston and Hampton, whether we're meeting over at Buckley and Wagon Trail at the church, whenever we gather together, we're basically doing the same thing. Coming together to sing, pray together, study the Bible together, and, and connect with one another. We're basically doing the same thing, really, that every believer has done since the beginning of time, since the beginning of the gathering of followers of God. And whenever you do something repetitively, it's easy to become religious, especially with spiritual things. And so when you stand where I stand and I make these observations over the years, I watch it happen. So here's how a typical service happens. There are always those that come early. And usually they're the same people. They come early, they come down into the cafe or they come in here and then visitors normally get here a little early as well. And you can tell visitors here, which is a good thing for you to know so you can greet them and encourage them and welcome them, is they're probably doing one of two, one of three things. One, they're sitting here early, looking up at the screens, re actually reading the announcement slides because they're interested what it is, and so they're really focused on the screens. Two, they may be sitting here and they're reading one of those uh, welcome to the church guides that we put together because somebody gave it to them and said, hey, this is all the information you need to know about our church. Most of the questions people ask are answered here, and so they're reading it through. Or three, they're walking around lost because they have no idea where they're at. And says, so, is there anywhere for my kids? It looks like a big room. And you go, oh, there's a downstairs. Oh, there's a downstairs. And then you walk them down, and, and there's, so there's always people here early. And then the church comes in, we start singing, and then there's always people that come in late for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's hard to get out of the house. Sometimes it's got backed up in the children's ministry. Uh, sometimes, well, you're just always late to everything you ever do, so you're late. Okay, so there's late people. And then the, there's the song, and then there's the announcements. And then with announcements, whether a bulletin or whoever's doing them, most people check out. They're not really interested what's going on in their church. Your, it's your church. This is your home. This is what, what's going on as we're uh, reaching you, as we're reaching those outside, outreach, ministry, needs, opportunities where the church comes. So you, you kind of check out. You go, no, I'm not interested. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to serve there. I'm not going to serve there. I'm not going to serve at all. I'm not really interested in bringing anything for the food pantry or whatever's in there. Uh, missionaries, man, they mention missionaries. Uh, you just kind of check out. And then you go through the service and you go, okay, I know there's going to be a few more songs. Then that guy's going to come up and teach again. I hope he's really fast this week. I hope he doesn't go over. I don't think he's quite that funny. So I'm not even expecting him to be funny. You know, all that stuff. And then I close my eyes and I begin to pray. And then there are always those that leave early. Because I'm peeking when I'm closing my eyes. I see you. <laughs> and then you do that every week. It happens every week. If we put a 
still cam that takes those pictures, you know, what, what do they call those cameras? Uh, time-lapse. If they did a time-lapse camera in here, it would be the same thing every week. It's pretty predictable. And then you take that and go, well, wait a minute, Ed. What's predictable in my life religiously? I don't know. You'll have to answer that. But could it be that in even the relationship you have with your own church family, you're just religious, going through the motions? And don't you have to ask yourself, have I been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Am I walking in the Spirit even at church, especially at church? Am I walking in the Holy Spirit? Am I open to hear from God? Am I open to serve Him? Because all of us can get religious, living life on empty. That God would have us to be filled. That our relationship with Jesus is to be dynamic and unexpected. That we would live in His power and not our own power. There's such resistance to the work of the Holy Spirit even among believers where you're trying to master this thing and you're trying to figure things out. And eventually, if not today, it's going to be eventually you're going to come to the conclusion it's impossible to live a life that pleases God in your own strength and your own knowledge. It's impossible. You'll never make it. You'll always be frustrated. Instead of embracing the Holy Spirit, folks will just hold on to their own thinking and their own upbringing. But Jesus says that there's power for you. Why? To be witnesses. To be witnesses, he says. To be a witness of my power in your life. To be able to share the gospel. Notice in Jerusalem, Judea, this is Acts 1.8, and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You really have to understand something in order to grasp the weight of this statement. The ones that are listening to this statement have never really left what's known today as Israel. That's where they lived, that's where they served, that's where they were born, that's where they work. That they, they don't, there, there wasn't, the, the, the first century wasn't like taking vacations and, I mean, you pretty much worked every day, seven days a week, your whole life, and lived in the same area your whole life. So that when Jesus speaks of them being witnesses in Jerusalem, they're like, okay, I get that. I live in Jerusalem. We've been doing this in Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, the, uh, the regions around Jerusalem, they could come to that conclusion. I get that. I can, I can, it would be the equivalent for us here in Aurora. Being witnesses here in Aurora, the Denver metro area, Judea, Samaria, Colorado, the United States. You know, they didn't have the transportation that we have today. They didn't have almost everything that we have today. So they could get Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but then he said what? To the end of the earth. That's an impossibility. That's, they, they couldn't do that to the end of the earth. First of all, they didn't even know where the end of the earth was. They weren't even sure. They weren't even sure where, what, what? We're going to take the gospel where? Around the world? Now, the Romans had conquered much of the world and had Roman roads and systems there, but the whole, there was so much of the world that wasn't even known yet. And Jesus says, look, guys, the power of God's going to come upon you, and you're going to do the impossible. Think about that. God wants to do the impossible in your life. You don't have to do it. You don't have to accomplish it. You don't have to figure it out. You can take that financial thing out of your backpack and give it to the God of the possible, the God of the impossible, the God that is able to make a way where there is no way. Ask Moses. Moses was trapped. Everybody was relying upon him. And God shows up. Ask the disciples over and over again. I think of Jerusalem here. 
You know, Jeff Price, been a part of our body for a long, long time, got put on his heart. Got put on his heart to go up to the apartments up north and fix kids' bicycles. Because up in the apartments up north is where a lot of the refugees that are coming to the Denver area are living. And he is ministering and has been ministering. This is just something the Lord put on his heart, something that God gave him to do. Uh, he's been ministering up in, those, in a couple apartments now from refugees from Somalia, Ethiopia, Congo, Uganda, Burma, Nepal, and Mexico. Three different complexes where he's giving bikes and clothes, playing games, making crafts, doing VBS. When, when we do short-term trips now, we have started to lead short-term trip leaders to do a small trip up north first before they go out of the country to practice and to get experience. And Jeff has been doing this for a long time. So a couple weeks ago, he came up and shared a little testimony. I know you'll love it. It's amazing. He was over at the apartments fixing bikes for these refugee kids, and, and some kids came over, Mr. Jeff, Mr. Jeff, would you please give us a bicycle? We don't have a bicycle. And, and Jeff said, I don't have any bicycles right now either. And then it, it sparked, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and ministered to him, and he told these kids, they were Muslim kids, kids from a Muslim background, and he looked at the kids in a very kind and gentle way, but he looked at the kids and said, I'll tell you what, kids, why don't you take this week and pray to your God for your bicycles. Pray to your God. And it was just about the time where on Wednesdays we're studying Elijah, remember, up on Mount Carmel, and he tells the prophets of Baal, hey, call out to your gods. Go ahead and call out. And they started dancing and cutting themselves. And, and, and then even Elijah said, well, I guess they didn't come. Maybe, you're, maybe your God is on the toilet, you know, and he's not paying attention to you. He literally, the Bible says that. Don't say, Ed, do you make that? Nope, nope, it's there. It's there in, a, in the New Living Translation or the Living Bible. But at any rate, he's over there. And, and Jeff tells these kids, you pray to your God and ask him for your bicycles. He comes back the next week and the kids come up and, and Jeff says, hey, well, what happened? What happened? You've been asking your God for the bikes. Did you get their bikes? And they said, oh, no, we didn't get the bikes. And Jeff said, I'll tell you what. This week, I'm going to pray to my God, the one true God. I'm going to pray by faith in Jesus Christ that my God will give me bikes for you. Now, he didn't have any bikes at the time. And so he was really putting himself, or as he said, he was really putting God out there for these Muslim kids and their families. So I'm going to pray to my God this week, and I'm going to ask God for bikes for you, and I'll see you next week. And I said, okay. So Jeff is praying during the week, and wouldn't you know it, he gets a call out of the blue, a relationship that he has with a used bike shop in town, and the, the guy says, hey, come on over, I got 20 bikes for you. Just come in and pick them up. And... And so Jeff goes, oh, I can't believe it. Oh, God, you're so good. He goes and picks up the... And then he delivers the bikes to the kids and says, look what my God has done. I mean, come on now. That, that is, to me, that's amazing. So, so, so Jeff, he can't do this. He can't do this in his own strength. I mean, I guess he could. I guess he could. You know, I guess he can go down to Walmart, buy a few bikes, and then come and say, here are your bikes. And he could have given them in Jesus' name in a very real way. And yet the Holy Spirit led him not to go down and buy one, not even to call his friend, but instead to pray. Like this was a challenge. This was a challenge for, for the, because, you know, when, when ministering to kids, which is primarily what we minister at the apartments, when ministering to kids, don't forget this, because God used this in my life and Marie's life. God uses the kids to get to the parents. You know, when my little guy Eddie was coming home from school, telling me, looking up in his big brown eyes, saying, I've got Jesus in my heart, do you, Dad? I remember thinking, what are they teaching you at that Christian school, man? 
And yet at the same time, there was a melting and a softening of my heart as my little boy was introduced to Jesus even before I was as an adult, even though I, I grew up in the church. I, didn't, I wasn't born again. I didn't live for the things of God. You see, God doesn't want us just to gather together in this holy huddle. Here we are, the holy huddle. We're in the church, like defined by these four walls. We're not defined by these four walls. You know, some, some, sometimes you just think that church is just about me. It's just all about me. I've been around long enough. I've seen this throughout the years. I've seen, I've seen how the church, even the leadership of the church, has tried to adapt to the world because we in the world, and if we're not careful, we'll just, it's all about me. What do you have for me? What do you have for me? You might be visiting today and you're like, man, what do you have for me? What do you have? I, I can answer that question because, you know, maybe you came in with a list and you got like four or five things on here. Whoop, they got this, they got this. And maybe we passed your list of five. Well, if you just made it six, we'd fail because we don't have everything and, and we're not going to have everything. And neither is that church or this church. Like, that's not what church is about. My responsibility is not to try to please everyone and make sure the church is appealing to everyone. No, no, no. It's very simple. My job, my responsibility is very simple. As a pastor, I'm to shepherd the flock of God that's among me. And I'm to serve you. And I'm to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's it. And then we as the church are to do the work of the ministry in a hostile world. It could be that you're so beat down today and you're so tired and it's so hard because this is what it feels like when you attempt to do the things of God in your own strength. That's what it feels like. You're not walking in the Spirit. You're not living in the Spirit. You're not baptized by the Spirit. You're not filled with the Holy Spirit, but rather you're living out trying to master this thing and you're finding out that you can't. You can't. You're not going to be the mom that God wants you to be in your own strength. Isn't it amazing as we're growing up, you go, you know, I'm going to be different from my parents, but the older we get, man, we sure are a lot like our parents, man. It's like, whoa. I mean, we might have improved a little bit, but, you know, it's only the Spirit of God that'll break that generational thing. It's only the Spirit of God. It's not going to be self-help. It's not going to be that, that new book or that series, as good as it might be. It's only the Spirit of God is going to make you something different than you were. There's that relationship of the Spirit that just comes out of us. Being filled with the Spirit. I mean, you, you look at churches today, like, like, like there's this mindset of consumerism and, and what do you have for me? And, and if you don't have this, then I'm going to go down the street. Well, you know, that's too bad. Because I watch people hop around, boom, all over the place looking for something that they already have. The presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. That the issue is actually not the church at all. Although some church is not teaching the right doctrine, it is. But for the most part, it's not, the, it's not that issue at all. The issue is our heart and being fleshly and not spiritual. That's the root of it. And so what does Jesus say? He tells the disciples, you guys, fill with the Spirit, wait. Wait for power that comes on high. It's going to make you a witness. So you're going to be a witness where? In a hostile world. You're going to do the impossible. You're not going to create a little social club, a little Christian social club where you just come together and you're not really worried about who's outside the walls here, but rather, you know, in huddles, when you get into a huddle, it's a pretty exclusive thing. You know, we, like the, the Broncos are going to be playing this afternoon, right? And, and they're going to be getting together in huddles and that's exclusive. You're not allowed in there. The opposing team's not allowed in there. Now, in case you go to the game this afternoon and you doubt me, Run out on the field and try to get in the huddle and tell me how it goes. 
text me and let me know because we want to tape it so we can play it here and go, look, this dude took me up on it. This is amazing, but I told you, you're not allowed. And there you are walking out. Sorry, Ed, it's all your fault, man. Bail me out. No, it's not my fault. It was your choice. But I mean, that's an, ex- that's a, that's an exclusive thing. And churches sometimes are like that. They're so inward focused. It's all about us and it's all about what we need. What are my needs? Listen, your needs have been met by the power of God and the provision of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. All our needs have been met. Needs of comfort, needs of encouragement, needs of strength, needs of wisdom. All of our needs have been met. And now, receive the power of the Holy Spirit and get into a hostile world and shine the light of the gospel. Okay, I want, I, have a, I want to show you how powerful light is, okay? So take your phones out if you know how to use your flashlight on your phone. Take your phones out. Take your phones out in a minute. I want to illustrate something to you. And I want to show you the power of light because the, the, the world is dark. Now, unfortunately, it's daytime right now, so we're going to have some light coming through the windows, but it will be enough. It will be enough. I want you to see this with your own eyes. If you know how to use your, you know how to use your uh, flashlight, go ahead and kill all the lights, all the lights, all of them gone, all of them. Off, 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 off. Yeah. All right, here we go. You guys, so go ahead and lift them up and just take a look around. There's not many of us, but just look around. Take a look. With just this little bit of light together, we can light this room up. We can light this room up. Keep them up. I'm going to take a picture because this is kind of cool. So we don't do this very often. So let me take a picture. Uh, Let me get back here. It's kind of cool. Shine your light of the gospel. Ain't, oh man, don't keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. Amen, amen. Thank you guys. The light of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit. And let there be light. Oh, it's too late. <laughs> and so the power of the gospel in your life, you, you may not see so significant, it's just your little phone, but together, together with hundreds, thousands, millions, like the light of the gospel is important, but listen, listen you're much brighter than your little phone. You're much lighter in a dark, hostile world. God has all the power, all that's necessary for you and I to live a life that's pleasing to him, honoring to him, and effective in your homes, in your communities, in your workplace. Before you do anything at all, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me show you one more thing. Turn over to Ephesians chapter five, and this will be it. Again, there's always semantic issues with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You might say, well, I just think we should be filled with the Holy Spirit. Great, then, then let's use the Bible when it says being filled with the Holy Spirit here in Ephesians 5. It's not something that we really need to argue about. It's not something that we really need to resist. It's just something we need to yield ourselves and submit to God. So notice with the picture of light, with the illustration of light in your mind, notice this in verse 8, Ephesians 5. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Verse 13. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then, church, see then you walk uprightly. 
Some Bibles say circumspectly, mine does, but it also means carefully. See that you walk, live your life carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And we say, okay, Paul, what's the will of the Lord? Verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation or emptiness, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So he gives that illustration of being under the influence of alcohol, drunk, unable to control yourself, under the influence, under the complete control. He says, instead of yielding your control, and it's not just alcohol, although alcohol is a great illustration. It could be, you know, drugs, but, but we also think about people being drunk with, their, with a desire for money and just under the control of money, or being drunk with ambition, or being drunk with power, The idea is to be controlled by. He says, don't be controlled by anything other, don't be controlled by anything other than the filling and the power of the person of God that lives in you, the Holy Spirit. Imagine that. Go home today with that on your mind. Meditate on that this week. God lives in you, the hope of glory. God himself has chosen to take up residence in our lives. So you don't have to master anything, just surrender. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow him. And the deal is this, it's a beautiful exchange. It's his life for your life, his power, your weakness, his wisdom, your lack of understanding. It's a beautiful exchange that God is continuing to grow us in. I see too many, I see too many and it seems to be increasing and it's not just our church. I'm involved with a lot of pastors, a lot of ministries around town, a lot of ministries around the world, literally. Different languages, different countries, and it's the same thing. They're seeing, the guys, the guys I'm, I'm, I'm ministering alongside of, they see the same thing. Too many men not loving their wives. Too many wives not submitting under their husband. Too, too many not, not being faithful at work. Too many, too many believers fighting, gossiping, lying, struggling, flirting, I mean, on and on and on. Why? There's a lack of submission to the Holy Spirit. These things, we do not sin when we're walking in the Spirit. (laughs) But we do sin when we're in the flesh. And when you live in the flesh, you sin a lot. Even to the point where sometimes we even wonder, are you a believer at all? Which is a sad testimony to the believer that has the power of God in them. So be filled, church, with the Holy Spirit. Wake up with a a sense of daily wanting to know, what does God have for my life? What does God have for my life? What is it today, Lord? You homeschooling mom, what is it today? You single person, what is it today? You're gonna go out knocking on on the doors again looking for a job, what is it today, Lord? Who is it today? Where are you gonna lead me? What direction are you gonna take me? Protect and guard me. In this world, Lord, I need your power. So, Father, I just pray as we wind down today and you have had your way with us that we would be filled with your spirit, God. I know discouragement comes. Depression comes. Worry and fear and anxiety comes. Sinful decisions come because of our sin and our lack of yielding to your spirit. And even when it didn't have anything to do with our decisions, 
our response to sinful decisions can often be so discouraging. Lord, help us to walk in the Spirit so that we might not fulfill the lust of our flesh, that we would even learn more and more what it means to be baptized in the Spirit, to be living, not, not a religious dogma or doctrine, but a relationship with the living God who will take us and lead us and guard us and overwhelm us and you never know what a day might bring. And as the church is praying, if you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, today is that day. I want to invite you to receive Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, that you would repent of your sins. Like you'll receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit today. All that, of that which we speak, you think of power and presence and God's love for me. Yes, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We say that on the authority of God's word. So if that's you today and you'd say, Ed, that's the change I need in my life. Would you just stand to your feet? I want to pray with you that today would be the day. Today is the day. God bless you guys. God bless you. Who else would say that's me? And forgive me if I don't see you or acknowledge you because of the lights, but God knows you. God bless you over here. It seems to be always at every service I miss someone, but God never misses Never, never, ever. God bless you here on the side. Who else would say that's me? Today's the day. God bless you. Knowing that God, God knows and sees. You, and even then, that reminds me, if you can't stand, it's okay. Standing doesn't save you. God bless you in the back and over here. Today's the day where you embrace the love of God. No more resisting God. No more pushing him away. Today's the day. And so I'm going to help you confess with your mouth, all right? I'm going, to, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And you can pray this out on the internet. You know, you're watching on your phone right now or watching on a podcast somewhere. You're listening at Grace FM right now live or on a station. Like this study was given years ago, but now you're listening to it. You can pray, God will save you today as you're listening to me. And here, here's something I want you to repeat after me. You can say something like this. Dear God, I admit that I've sinned against you. And I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe you sent Jesus to live for me, to die for me. And I believe Jesus rose again from the dead to save me from my sins. Help me, God, to turn away from my sinful past, to deny myself, Take up my cross and follow you from this day forward. And God, baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I want all that you have for me in my life. And Father, I know anyone that would pray, you receive them. The angels in, hev in heaven are happy at one, let alone so many. And may you guard and protect them of the warfare they're going to experience. What a joy to know that you love us and protect us even in the midst of hostility. And now, church, if you can open your eyes now as you guys, um, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You want a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit? Hold, hold on, hold on. You want, I want to continue in this atmosphere of the Holy Spirit moving. If you want, you know, you say today, man, Ed, I don't know if I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit or I need to be refilled or I, would you stand to your feet? So that's how we want to end. I'm going to pray for you. 
And, and last night, and I'll do it again today, I'm standing, even though I'm always standing when I'm teaching, I stood because I just want the Holy Spirit to fill me to the top of my mind because my mind needs to be touched by the Lord. I just, I need his help. And so I'm asking for an infilling now. I got to ask three times because I was here all every service. And maybe that's you. you. Maybe you just have something, someone, you just, maybe it's just, Lord, fill me. I don't want to be drunk with. I don't want to be controlled by. And then, you know, emotions or whatever. And you just begin to ask God, fill me. So I'm going to pray for you, but also pray for yourself. And, and just, and even if you, you know, right now you may not, I don't need to be filled. It's okay. There's no judgment here, no condemnation. Don't worry about it. Because sometime during this week, you'll ask for a filling. So it's okay. Don't, 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 you don't have to look down on yourself. And you go, maybe you're here the last couple of weeks. You go, man, this dude asked for people to stand all the time. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. And I do, by the way, but don't worry about it. Because I want you to respond. I don't, I want to break this religious, you know, this, I don't know what to call it. This religious stream that we're just doing the same thing all the time instead of being open to the Lord. Instead of pressing in. The Bible says that the kingdom of God is taken by force. Like, and press in with our lives, not be cowardly, always on our heels, always moving backwards. And so, yes, we want to be open to the Lord. So I'm going to start praying, and you start praying, and just ask God to fill you, to ask God to baptize you, and just begin to pray right now. And so, Father, we, we pray, God, that, right, that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, that for those asking, you would honor their requests asking for their marriage, asking for their kids, asking for redemption, asking God that that which the locust is eaten to be restored, asking for deliverance, asking for purity, asking for just a calmness in our minds, Lord. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us afresh. Do that work in our lives, God, that we would walk in the power that you have promised and stop trying to take things into our own hands. We pray these things together. And everyone says, amen Amen in Jesus' name, amen. Yes.